come up here. I, th- I, th- I think we need to examine you. You want to, <laughs> you want to come down here? What, what's the matter? You feel terrible. Oh, really? Well, maybe maybe you better lie down. You look, you know, you look, you look pale and and looking a bit short of breath. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, look. I mean, it it could just be a, a simple syncope. That, that's a faint for you, those that don't know. Um, well, maybe maybe you're a bit anemic or hypertensive. Um, you couldn't be pregnant, could you? <laughs> what? Oh, right. But what, did you did you walk up the hill? Maybe you've got um, high altitude sickness. Yeah. Right. Look, I, I'll just consult my book. Hi- hypertensive. I think it's hypertensive. Uh, uh, hypertensive. Right. H Y H Y. Hyper. Hyper. Oh, this is. Okay. Right. Really. I, Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, I'll, I'll do that. Yep. I think I've got just the thing for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think what you need is a shot of adrenaline. Stop, Sandra. Not the adrenaline. What? What? Who are you? It's not the Lord. No, it's David. Who, who are you? I'm the paramedic. And I'm a paramedic too. Ah. And I wouldn't give him adrenaline, not right now. Not till you know what's going on with Paul here. Oh, okay. How long have you been feeling poorly for Paul? <laughs> Since the alarm. Since the alarm. <laughs> you want any medications, my friend? Oh, none that I can tell you about. None, yeah, oh, I see. <laughs> right. What about allergies? Any allergies to anything? No. Adrenaline? No. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think you need a good workup in the back of an ambulance before we give you anything, eh? Yeah, why don't you come with me? Oh, dear. Well, um, <clears throat> I wonder who might be the real paramedic. Um, in an emergency, um, who would you want to come to your aid? Me or more David? David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think I might stop pretending, yeah. Um, but what I would like to leave you with, if I can, is the picture of preparedness. Like I had the clothes, I had the book, I had a bit of the lingo, practiced that, syncope. Um, but am I the real deal? No. Um, and interestingly, Dave didn't have a uniform. He didn't even have the book. Um, but he was ready, wasn't he? He was ready right there. And I, I know the guy. He is ready 24-7, no matter what's going on. And the readiness is because he's been built. It's been built in him. It's not this just a whole lot of head knowledge. It's actually his response. It's his reflex. So in any kind of... Um, emergency, I know something's going to kick in with him and he's going to immediately come to the aid because it's been built in him. Now, I, I haven't done this to, um, I'm going to go up a step because I've got little shoes on and I'm short. Um, but I'm not trying to compare the, the preparation process to being a paramedic 
to how Christ prepares us because they are vastly different. But I want the picture of being prepared to be in your head, yeah, what it is to be prepared. And the thing is that um, Christ is preparing us, right? And what he wants to do is to form himself in us. And so with with us having been prepared and in that state, at any stage, any situation, if we're pushed and pressured, what is going to come out of us? Yeah? What's going to come out of us? See, what he wants to build in us is going to mean that Christ comes out of us. So it doesn't matter what situation is, whether it's a whole lot of people really at us and persecuting us, what is going to come back? Is it going to be, you're a pack of losers, you don't know? Or is it going to be Christ's love, his truth, his humility? Now, I don't know about you, but I am unequal to that task. I'll admit it right here, right now. There is no way that I can get to that place by myself. I'm totally unable to do that because I know myself that if I'm, if I'm in a pressure situation and my natural self takes over, it's going to be a whole lot of other things but Christ coming out. Yeah. But the thing is that this is the prepared state that he is, is working in us. And this process isn't something that we slap on. We don't just put on some clothes and look the part or start speaking the lingo or knowing the scripture to quote. It's not actually this external thing. It's an internal transformation. And the, the way that God does it is absolutely mind-blowing. I, I love him so much because he knows how to do this. And that is sending his word as truth and light into our innermost parts. You see, only he can see what's really in our heart. We, we can do a lot of navel gazing and we think, you know, I'm pretty weak at this and I'm pretty weak at that. But when he speaks, he often comes in and speaks about things we haven't even seen. Yeah, true? So the thing is that we actually need him to come into our innermost parts. And there's a, there's a scripture in Hebrews 4, you will know it, I'm sure, verses 12, 13. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's not a dead word. And sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Um, Psalm 119, I love this scripture, um, verse 130, the entrance of your words gives light. And, and when I did a bit of research that the entrance of your word, they, they think it comes from the, the nomadic style of living that the Hebrew people were 
in, and they were in tents, right? So you imagine a tent, and the door is opened. That's the only way light can come in. And I don't know about you, but I know that I need his light to come into dark and shady places in me. And it's, it's, not, it's not going to... Um, I'm not going to walk in light unless his word does a work in me, yeah? Um, the, the other thing that, um, that I, I've really, really been, he's been talking to me a lot is about the fact that we can actually um, think that we're in one state and yet actually be in another state because he sees something else. And this is uh, really sobering. It's like you kind of think, well, I, I know where I'm at, good or bad. But actually, this is the other thing. When truth comes in, he comes in. He's a person, yeah? And he comes in, and he, when he turns up, you know that what he says is true. It's real. And, you know, we've got some examples of this in Revelation three, um, two and three, those chapters when he's speaking to the churches. And I've just pulled out one or two. So Revelation 3, 1, um, and he's speaking to this church and he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. That really got me, I thought. I stopped it. You have a name. What's that about? What is that about? Why would we have a name? But here you have a name for being alive, but yet you're dead. One reality, Christ sees the truth. Revelation three seventeen. because you say, this is the Laodicean church, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you don't, do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He had to rock up and say it as it was. Now, he was motivated entirely by love. He didn't just go, you've failed in every way and I'm going to kick you. I mean, that's not, you read it. He reveals himself in special ways. If you do a study through that, he reveals himself differently to each of those churches. And the revelation of himself is part of the key for their release. And he gives them the way out. He said, buy from me. All of those things. And he says, I love those that I, um, I discipline those that I love. But he is speaking. So let's bring it home. What is the Spirit saying to this church? Anyone read this book? I'm not saying it's the total of what he said. But over the last few years, there have been significant messages, significant words. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Do we take this as seriously as we would if it was a letter that we've just read out of Revelation? Or 
He has been clearly saying the same things over and over. Let me just give you a list of a few that I pulled out. He doesn't want us to remain hidden and covered. He will expose. He doesn't want us to remain the same as we were or as we are. He doesn't want us to remain in the fake when he's calling us to the genuine. But very often we don't know it's fake until his word pierces. So it's this engagement with the word. He doesn't want us to remain lethargic and apathetic. The trumpet is calling us into his presence. He doesn't want us to remain in fear. The breath that's blowing the trumpet is love. Read the words. It's there. He doesn't want us to remain asleep. He's waking us up. That's Psalm 24, 7. He doesn't want us to continue living wrong. He's teaching us how to live right. His ways, his righteousness. He doesn't want us to remain in cruise ship mode. He's calling us into something. Do you think he's just going to click his fingers and we're going to go from, I'm here for myself in this cruise ship and isn't it cool and I just want all this stuff for me, to suddenly being a team working together in rank with a purpose? Do you think that's just going to happen with a click of a finger? That's a process of transformation. But we have to recognize that he's calling us out of one into another. Yeah? Would you say that's correct? So we personally have to engage each one, not just as a community and not just from afar. This is a living, active word, and it's meant to pierce into each one of our hearts. That's the only way that it does the transformation. It doesn't do it by saying, yes, I agree, and it's over there somewhere. It has to come in here and work in my heart with what I have to sort out that he tells me, not what I've looked in and thought I've got to sort that out, what he is showing me, what he's cutting into me. He doesn't want us to remain in our old mindsets, in our old spiritual landscapes. What did he say? He's breaking us out of those and leading us into new. So so why would he give these words to us? Is he trying to go, you are so bad and you got it all wrong and and there's nothing... Nothing you can do about it and you should give up in desperation. Is he actually saying that? Does that sound like our king? Does that sound like our Lord? Yes, it needs to pierce. It needs to do its work. But what's what's the goal? What's the goal? He's preparing us to be ready as his bride. He's preparing us to be that Christ formed in you representation of him. Yeah? Here and now, when he comes, if we die tomorrow, if if he comes in five million years, it, it's all the same. We've got one life to get prepared. Yeah? So don't get hung up about, is it because he's coming soon that we're getting all these messages? No, it's not. We should be getting prepared anyway, right? We've only got one life. 
And I've only got one chance to submit myself to his hand, his word, piercing my heart to be transformed and made into his image, right? And I have to stand before him. Every single one of us will die. Every single one of us will stand before him. Okay. So the, it's going to pierce. And is that going to hurt? Probably. A sword that pierce, pierces and cuts is obviously getting to places that are usually inaccessible. Have you thought about that? That's why he says what he says. It, it divides in between soul and spirit. It actually judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. Should we be scared of this? No. Because there's an ultimate purpose. You know, this is the way he's revealing to us that can't be found any other way. That we can, by responding with faith, enter into the very life of God. His rest. The purpose of him speaking is to get to the very core of our heart, even the thoughts and intentions. And you know, the one thing that can stop it, if you look in that scripture in Hebrews 4, is if we harden our heart. The word will do the work. But it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So I've got a few questions that I asked myself. I'll ask them of you. Do we welcome his sword and word no matter what pain it might bring? Do we allow it to exist but limit how far it can penetrate? Do we ignore it and hope it will go away and stop annoying and pricking us and interrupting our lives? Do we resist it and argue against it because we don't and can't understand? Question, do we trust it's God that's wielding the sword? Do we trust his ability to do what only he can do? Or do we hold on to control? Now, I'll fix my life up. You just back off and I'll fix that problem. Is that really what our heart's saying? Are we looking at the prize and the prize giver or only at the sword and the sharpness of the edge? See, there's another aspect of being prepared, and that's the thing that we're not taken by surprise. And as I was going through those scriptures in Revelation, it really struck me that it was those who didn't repent. He says, you listen to this, uh, Revelation 2.16, Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly or unexpectedly. You look at this, Revelation 3, 3. So remember what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So who's he going to come like a thief to? Those who haven't had this work done and haven't repented. He doesn't actually want us to be unprepared. 
and to take us unexpectedly. Do you see the love that he has for us? He is not leaving us sort of out there with a whole lot of things, just go do whatever you can, try and make it work, and then I'm just going to turn up, and man, I hope you're ready. He, he's not like that. He is walking with us. He, the, the way of his life is to take his yoke upon us and walk with him, isn't it? To learn from him day by day by day. He is not afar off. And he is speaking to us because we need to be spoken to. We need to be prepared. We need to be woken up. We need to be um, aroused out of, out of things that we might not even realize we're in. And who's the one that knows and who's the one that loves us so much that he'll tell us and get us ready? So how do we respond? Is our heart naturally receptive? I don't know about you, but if I feel exposed, my natural tendency is to cover, is to hide, is to reject, is to run, is to become fearful and shrink back, and it's to become overwhelmed. That's my natural response. You know, uh, Galatians 4.16, Paul had spoken some words, and he's, he's writing to them. He said, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Hebrews 4.2, it starts off and it says about the word profiting us. So the word is sent with a purpose, a reason that the, the, the word himself has sent this word, right? And he's talking about, um, Paul's describing, there's a big thing I'm not going to go into about entering his rest. He's talking about the, the Hebrews, but he's talking about us. And he said, the word that they heard did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's a connection. God is doing the work, but he's actually needing us to have faith that responds to the word and it gets mixed up inside and becomes real and, and life is formed. Hebrews 12 talks about discipline. Ah, oh, this is the, this is the chapter that we quickly skip over. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving for sin. By the way, who did resist to the point of shedding blood? For us. You've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Do you see it's all relationship-based? He is loving us as sons. It's about relationship and closeness. It always has been. It's always been his intent. Does that make it a little easier to enter into this process, to realize that this is the process of closeness and intimacy. We, we have to allow him in. It says, my son, do not regard lightly. Do you know what that means? Caring little. No. Nah. 
Mm. You've got to be careful. Nor faint when you're approved by him. That's the fearful, that's the weary. Oh, not again. They're on about this again. Can you get off my back? (laughs) Who's on about it? And is he on about it to nag? Is that how is that how he brings life? Nagging us? It never worked in the household. Why would it work with him and us? He comes to pierce. He comes to be Lord. And there's a response that we have to do, or else it's going to feel like nagging. But it's not nagging. It's his love motivating him to say, there's life, there's life, there's life. Can you not see that at the moment you're walking in shadow land? And he says uh, down in, in verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Do you hear that? Live. This is what it's about, living his life. I was thinking the other day, and I do this sometimes, I feel overwhelmed, you know? And why do I feel overwhelmed sometimes? And it was like he spoke to me, because you still slip back into that old way, Sandra. I think it's because we filter and we view things that he's saying through this filter that says, um, looks at what we are to do to fix the things he's showing. That's when I feel overwhelmed. It's like, oh, am I ever going to... If I am a, and then he says, excuse me, <laughs> what filter have you got on your eyes? Is that, the, is that the way I'm showing you for life? That I just tell you all these things that are not so good and you go away and you fix them. He's rescued me out of that. Thank you, Lord. I spent many, many, many years in that. You know, he, he, he wants to speak into the very core of our operating systems. He, he, something he, I mean, he's been speaking to me recently. He just asked me the question, he said, what are you feeding on? And he said, you know, every time you feed off the praise or affirmation of another person, you die a little bit more. You mean I could be actually encouraging the old system by looking for that or by needing that somehow? You know, who is? Who is the Lord? Who is the resource? Who is the one that fulfills us in every way? If it's the praise of men or the whatever you want to call it, is that not just going to die sometime? It's going to get shaken sometime. It's going to, the bottom's going to fall out of that foundation, isn't it? We can see that logically, and yet deep in our innermost beings, that can be an operating system. Now, I don't want to operate out of that. And I'm so thankful that he's asking me these questions because I can say, 
God, I really don't want to operate out of that. And I'm welcoming you to speak that life into me. So that, and he reminds me every once in a while, if I start doing something, you doing that again? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't need that. That's cool. And this freedom comes. Awesome. The last thing I want to look at is King David and how he responded to the Lord's cutting word. Because um, there's so much in here and we, we see a response, I think, that can really encourage us. You know, we've, we've, got, we've got King David. He's a king, right? He's the highest man in the land. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and he presents a case because he's sitting as judge, right? So this case is, he talks about, um, I've got it right, um, a, a young man who's got one lamb, one sheep, and someone comes and they've got a whole heap of stuff and they will take as one lamb. And, you know, um, David is asked to pass judgment on this, on this case. So he makes a right, right judgment and, and says that the person who's the big bully is in the wrong. And then Nathan faces him with the fact that actually that is you. You've just done that with Bathsheba. He is Bathsheba and her, and, um, her righteous husband who has been giving his life for you and your army. And you've nicked his only lamb. And you have sent him to the slaughter. And he faced him with what he'd done. David could have said, but I have done this, 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 and 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 this for God. Did he? It's easy to think, but there's so many things I'm doing right. Just focusing on these negative things, it's really negative. That's not the point. It's not the point. It's not a, a balancing thing. We're not going to put our good deeds here and then our stuff-ups on the other side and see which one's the, the best when we die. Where did that come from? It's about being made into his likeness, being transformed so that Christ is formed in us. And that means truth. That means love. That means honesty. It means transparency. It means humility. And here's this king, and he's humbled by this word. And he doesn't plead innocence. Quite the opposite. He throws himself onto the known character of God, his mercy and his love. Let's read it, shall we? It's a beautiful psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak. And blameless when you judge. He wasn't going to pull God's integrity into the question here. No, it's God's got it wrong this time. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. See, he saw the bigger picture. Transformation. In the hidden part, you will make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken or crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. You know, he knows God doesn't delight in his efforts to fix this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He's poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the entrance point. A contrite and broken heart, O God, you will not despise. This is the place where God works in us. He's after access to build and create his truth, his character, his image, and likeness in the depths of our being. And invariably, it will involve the bringing of his truth, his wisdom, his purity, his spirit. It will be empowered by and recognized by his joy, our willingness and the power to sustain and continue in the process. We bring our broken and contrite heart and spirit knowing in the depths of our being that we do not have in ourselves righteousness that he can accept. Neither do we come with the things we can do or say in the hope of pleasing him. David didn't, and he had a whole lot of things he could have said. Our hope rests entirely on him, his character, his mercy, compassion, and unfailing love. The place he has designed for us to know him is in our innermost parts because he is truth and he is wisdom. He has designed it so that we have to open these places to him. It's a bit like a door with only an inside handle. The opening process only happens with submission and humility and repentance. Pride and independence will always cause the door to remain closed. A broken spirit and contrite heart are moments of truth, of the reality of who he really is and who we are that can lead to our opening the door in faith. I'll read that again. A broken spirit and contrite heart are moments of truth, 
of the reality of who he really is and who we are that can lead to our opening the door in faith. Revelation 3.19 says, Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I want to finish off with a a quote from Arthur Getz. He said, A true priest is one who has an accumulation of the inward workings of God in the hidden place. It's beautiful, isn't it? So it is meant to get in. His word is meant to really get in. And not just get in and convict, get in and be welcomed as we swing wide the the doors because we know that that word is living. It's living and it's active. If I didn't know that there was another way, if he hadn't told me there was another way to be built other than on the praise of men, I wouldn't have the faith to say, Reject that. Go for that. There's a place of stability and security in him that he is calling us to. Where nothing, no matter what is happening in the world around us, is going to shake us. You read Psalm 46 and it talks about that. And he is taking us and wanting us to be built in the inside so that in any situation, no matter whether it's a great one or a really disastrous one, we will stand. I want to leave you with one picture um, that he, he gave me recently. He's been giving me dreams, which I don't usually have, but... Um, This, again, working in me. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more comfortable when I'm surrounded by people that support what he's doing. Um, and in this dream, I was in this most public place that could possibly be in a big city. It was a public square. And I was dressed as a bride, waiting and eyes fixed on him. And you know, I'd never thought of it before, but yesterday, like, what was the response of us all to Tess as she came in? It was support and encouragement and love. Here's the bride, here's the bride, it's exciting. But there was no such thing. There was finger pointing and things being, abuse being thrown everywhere I looked. And he was talking to me about keeping my eyes fixed on him and loving out, responding out of love, responding out of who he is to all this stuff. Don't look to be supported. Don't look to have everybody say this is a good thing. This is the kind of thing he is building in us.
And I am excited that we we are in a community together. It's much better than a lot of people have, yeah? So let's just encourage each other to engage. Please don't throw this away. If you haven't engaged in it, even if you have more, yeah, so that he can actually do what he needs to do in all of us. And it's not a matter of just from afar saying, well, I agree, I agree. I put my stamp of yes on that. It's like, what are you saying to me? Yeah, and share, walk together with each other in in the discipleship groups so that his word can do its work that it was sent for. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I've asked Emma uh, just to share personal testimony. She shared something with me, I think it was either last week or 